Look, by the time we hit 30, your life's basically over. Like, the wow. <laughs> no, don't, don't convince me that, Nathan. You are not going to convince me that. Oh, no. Those of you but... who don't know, Brian is the closest to hitting 30. Oh, yeah, that's the context we need to give people and not the fact that Nathan, for the last year and a half, has been threatening me that I'm going to be dead before I'm 30, which no, is no, in okay. a little over a year. Okay, Welcome to the some... All Bad Takes podcast. We talk about movies and nothing else. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of the All Bad Takes Show. <laughs> I totally forgot that's what we're calling it. This is our movie podcast, I know, original, on all of us as a group of friends and our enthusiastic takes in, uh, in film and, and such. Uh, I am your host, Nathan Ludahl, and here with me today are the my esteemed guests and colleagues delane cunningham hello brian stevenson howdy and squashor ryerson i'm last in this list uh i also am josh for those who don't know my name is not squash uh that sounds like fake news listen you can't just start gaslighting everyone who's listening to this and thinking that that's my real name can't We're going to have a the... great show today. I am This is probably a good time to bring up that my last name is Stevenson, not <laughs> Stevenson. I feel like I should have said something when you said it, but then right. we then Josh said his thing and okay, so I was like, Okay, I'm going to redo folks, this. Okay. No, we're, we're, we're all best we're, friends. We're all best friends, but you don't know our names. Yeah, I don't know. Are we friends? It's only been like 5 years. Okay, to make you feel going... better, Nathan, I have had friends who I've known for over a decade who went like realized that it was Stevenson, said like, I've been saying Stevenson for like eleven years and I don't mind. You should mind. Maybe that's, we should start <laughs> maybe we should restart. Also, wait, I think it's been like seven years. Yeah, I was gonna say okay. five years. Five years seems forever. I actually okay. didn't I didn't like you guys for the first two years, so I count our friendships. I don't like any of you now. <laughs> Okay, well, we're just going to roll with this. Um, so for our very first episode, we decided, since the Academy decided to roll out with their nominations list, and typically we will do a monthly episode where we talk about a movie one of our uh, podcast hosts have chosen. Uh, but for this first episode, we're going to... It's Oscar season. Let's, uh, let's you know, talk about Oscars. Let's talk about movies, right? I think this that would be a good subject for this podcast. Don't you? Okay. I can be swayed. So let's just like jump right into it. Um, I, I'm i not going to read through this whole list or anything, but I will like go through the best picture stuff because I think that's usually the most interesting. So uh, our best picture lineup are as follows. All Quiet on the Western Front. Avatar, The Way of the Water. The Banshees of Inishirin. I'm sorry for the Irish folks out there. Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fablemans, Tar, Top Gun Maverick, Triangle Sadness, and Women Talking. I will say that this is probably the best initial movies I've like I've already seen before the list came out. I think I've seen about eight out of the ten, uh, which is a first for me. Usually I like see only about five. But uh, this is, like, a pretty good list where I'm like, oh, okay, I've seen pretty much everything. Yeah, same here. I've seen all but two. 
um, which is cool. I felt like I was pretty satisfied with the list. I didn't feel like there were two obvious snubs or can I guess I which two you haven't seen? Oh, uh, go for it. Uh, I'm going to assume one of them is women talking. That's correct. Wow, you don't support women, Delane. That's crazy. Okay, don't don't say this on recording. <clears throat> I do support women, actually. Um, that just happens that that movie came out to cinemas last, and mm. I I have not yet made it to cinema to see it. Um, mm. So I will actually support women talking by going and paying money to see it on the big screen. At mm, some but you point. haven't yet. Have you seen women talking? Uh, no, I haven't. Well, Folks, well, well. just just to give you a picture of where we're all seated, um, three of us are in the beautiful state of Oregon, Pacific Northwest. One of our friends happens to actually live in L.A. and doesn't actually have an excuse to not see all these movies right away. Great uh, point. Thank you. Oh, my God. Uh, you know, okay. I really thought I thought you were going to take that opportunity to say when I said, have you ever seen a, the women talking? You're going to be like, well, you are right now. But I was going to do that. But one of you interrupted me. So that joke is dead, <laughs> dead in the water. Women interrupting. <laughs> I'm gonna it's assume just, it's just too too common. You see it. Wait. Yeah, so I what's know. the second movie, Delane? Oh uh, wait. You want to guess. guess? Triangle of Sadness. You know, I feel like this is an unfair game because you follow me on Letterboxd and therefore know uh, what I haven't had. I just seen. know who you are as a person, and I'm like, uh, I just think you love. I don't rich know people. you. I think you love rich people and hate women, and wow, <laughs> so those are the ones you decide to watch last. Okay, you know, she no. she does refuse to watch White Lotus, so there is like kind of okay, a no. trend here. There you go. I okay, no, guilt. that's not true. It's the what? Guilt. No, what? I... <laughs> all right, moving okay. on, Brian. No, I... All right, <laughs> Brian. Uh, have, uh, have you what's uh, have you seen most of these? I'm assuming. Yeah. So I I mean I try at least for the last five or so years i've tried to be as caught up try to watch as many uh like contenders uh and see how many uh how many i end up with by nomination morning and only once have i ever actually watched all of the nominees when they were announced and that was the 2019 year um and then everything after that has been pretty much like oh i'm missing 1917 or i'm missing uh you know, promising young woman or Nomadland, and uh, and this year I have three yet to I've yet to see, and uh, one of them I really don't have an excuse because I have Netflix, and the other two uh, it's just a matter of trying to get to to, to theaters. Oh. One thing about uh, that I've always experienced in my many years of watching the Oscars and trying to keep up with the Oscars is. Uh, Eugene is not as big of a hub for releasing these films uh, early on. So when the discourse is around around the, all these films, I it takes it takes a while for me to get to it because it takes a while to get to me. Yeah, but but as of right now, both Women Talking and Triangle of Sadness. Triangle of Sadness has been in theaters for a while. It's just a just a matter of like getting to a, a two and a half hour film in a theater. I'd like to right. submit a correction. <clears throat> I also have not seen All Quiet on the Western Front. I forgot about that one. Um, oh, I thought that was the one that you'd seen because, like, it is on Netflix. I guess it, it's a long movie. Like, It's it, a well, long it, movie. It, I saw the, like, original, um, and I didn't like it, so I don't really have a lot of passion to see the new one, especially because I've heard it's really grim. Um, and I also know it's really long, and I know it's um, 
I'm going to watch it in the German. So I'm going to have to like sit down and like really pay attention. Um, mm-hmm. So I just, all those factors have contributed to me not yet uh, yeah. making it to that one. So. I would Girl. also like to make a correction. I've only seen half of All Quiet on the Western Front. Uh, I forgot that Ooh, get out. I, I forgot <laughs> that I didn't finish it. Uh, and I still have to. Uh, so I don't know if that counts. I'm a, I'm gonna assume it's not. But uh, no. yeah, it's kind of the same vein where it's like, 1917 already came out, and that kind of scratched my itch for World War One films. I think that's like, I don't know. I don't think anything I've ever seen has done it any better. Uh, so for All Quiet, it's like, I don't know. I've also read the book for high school. I don't know. I just feel like I haven't really had a necessity to watch it. After seeing all the awards that like it got nominated for, I'm like, damn, people really like this movie. Yeah, well, and like it's it seems like a recurring theme here. Some of the movies we've all have, like not seen and not seen. Um, I it, some of the more quieter releases, right? Because um, I haven't seen All Quiet on the Western Front or uh, Women Talking or Triangle Sadness. Um, yeah, All Quiet, I. It it came and then you know I didn't think anything of it and the BAFTAs really ate it up. I was like, oh okay, I guess this is like getting some traction. And then when the Oscars came out, I was like, this is getting a lot of traction. Okay, the the people like this. Um, people like being sad. Well, it's it, it reminds me a little bit. I mean, I haven't seen it. I actually I didn't read the book or anything because I knew a lot of people did read it back in like high school and everything or see the old movie. Um, is that you know this just from the premise alone reminds me of like some like come and see right and i was mm. like okay so this is our kind of slow-paced <laughs> sort of anti-war film right and i'm just like yep this is, this is gonna be a great time that i'm gonna have to save for a matinee oh i'm sorry um i heard there's been some changes between um this version and the original slash the book um apparently they've made some changes to like the final scene which i'm really interested in i don't want to give any spoilers or anything but um I've heard some people say that the changes um, maybe don't reflect the message of the book the same way. Um, Does Germany win? I can't say, honestly. I've, I've avoided it. I don't know what's different. Um, but uh, I've just heard some interesting takes on the uh, remake, I guess. Um, is Can we call it a remake? I, I don't know. Um, I mean, in, in a, one film, it's it's really weird, but in a way, this film reminds me of a uh, Best Picture nominee from last year, West Side Story, in that mm. it started out as its own source material, right? A musical or, uh, you know, Romeo and Juliet, however you want to interpret that. But it was some source material that was adapted into a film. It won Best Picture, and now people will think that it's been remade, but rather it's probably more of an adaptation. It's just another adaptation of this original yeah. source material. That's yeah. that's how I've tried to view this this version, even though it's, I mean, even though West Side Story, Spielberg's version is kind of shot like a war film already. So like there's sort of elements that resonate in that. I'm, but I don't know. I, I will see the film soon. I It's, you know, eventually, this is the nice part about having this much time in between nominations and the actual ceremony. We have the entire month of February to watch these films, and we had a little bit of the the end of January to get to this. So we have, you know, for me to say that I don't have enough time to seek out three different films for the purpose of being a best picture completist, you know, is, is a little silly. But um, when I do get to watching that film, I feel like... I have to suppress myself from 
having drawing too many West Side Story comparisons because that's going to be that's already the really main thing that I think about when I I think about this adaptation. All quiet on the West Side Story front. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, a really cool connection, Brian. Do you Thank think you. in 20 years time we're going to have to explain why Top Gun Maverick was nominated for best picture? We might have to explain why it won best picture to be honest. Listen. Yeah. I think we, we were all sad as people, and we just needed something to make us feel again. And I guess Top Gun Maverick was that thing. Also, the Academy Awards always try to get a dad movie in there. I think that was this year's dad movie. It was either that or Elvis. I, I kind of agree with that sentiment because I have in my office, I have like a wide range of like younger people and like older people, and they the like one of the like older guys. He's like you know, it's like thir late thirties, early forties. Like I'm. You know, I'm just going to say this out there. Like, I wouldn't mind if, you know, Top Gun Maverick won uh, Best Picture. I, that movie just blew me away. And I'm just, you know, in, in most cases, like, I just kind of, like, nod my head. Like, okay, yeah, Grandpa. But, like, you know, it's it's a good movie. He's 40? I, He's 40 and you're calling him Grandpa? Look, by the time we hit 30, your life's basically over. Like, it's the wow. same. <laughs> no, don't, don't convince me that, Nathan. You are not going to convince me that. <laughs> Oh, no. Those of you who don't know, Brian is the closest to hitting 30. Oh, yeah, that's the context we need to give people and not the fact that Nathan, for the last year and a half, has been threatening me that I'm going to be dead before I'm 30, which is no, no, in okay. a little over a year. Okay, Welcome to the some... All Bad Takes podcast. We talk about movies and nothing else. <laughs> also, I, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give context. There's an ongoing joke with between me and host Brian is that I we, we were having this discussion about you know, getting older, and then I think he one day says, like, oh, man, if I live past 30, it's just like, what am I gonna do? And I was like, well, Brian, like, you you don't have to live past 30. <laughs> In fact, I, I could, you know, help you through, help you pass that, you know? And so, yeah, it's been a, good a reoccurring joke that I'm more than likely gonna, like, you know, make sure he doesn't hit 30. So there's okay. there's good reason why I try to watch all of these nominees because I only have so many films left to watch before my demise. But oh, doesn't man. it make you appreciate every day, Brian? Uh, one thing it didn't make me appreciate was last year. There was like this slew of different, uh, sorry, uh, 2021, when we had films like uh, um, Tick, Tick, Boom and Worst Person in the World and uh, Bo Burnham's Inside and The Beatles Get Back, all about people who feel like they've hit a wall up until the point where they reach the age of 30 and it just resonated too much for me and it only makes everything Nathan is telling me that much more scary because I'm like okay well now it's definitely on my mind and uh uh well, don't worry Brian we'll give you yeah. we'll get a good replacement for you when you hit 30 <laughs> sure anyway uh so, yeah, how about the Fablemans, right? <laughs> <laughs> Steven Spielberg, huh? Uh, Speaking of, yeah. I'm, that's another dad already... movie, really, wouldn't you say? It is, yeah. Um, is it, though? I would say it's the, the art Oscar... and dads. It's like the art of cuckolding. Like, I don't I don't know if it is the old... I mean, I guess it could be a dad movie. Right. depends on who your dad is, but... I... I hate my dad movie. <laughs> I think the Oscars always try to do a, hey, ain't, ain't movies great as uh, one of their best picture noms? It was either that or Babylon. I think they made the good choice with Fablemans. Fablemans is a more cohesive movie of the two. I think Babylon, mm -hmm. um, 
I, I don't know. I wanted to like Babylon so much. I was really invested for the first like two thirds and then the end just went so off the rails that Elaine, you me. and I had a conversation about the whale and how you made the argument that it, it didn't really have a message or its message was kind of weak. I didn't feel that, but I felt that for Babylon. I feel like Babylon's I feel like Babylon's message was, Hey, ain't movies awesome. And it's like, all right, dude. Yeah, it's true. Well, I agree. But getting back to the Fablemans, I, I, it's a weird uh, Spielberg movie in that it's like probably his like most like intimate movie I would say like in like twenty years or something like that. But it still feels big. Like it's like still like, you know, just feels like grand Spielberg. Um, yeah, this was like a story that he's been kind of dying to like tell for a really long time, and just the fact that like he had this in him for so long and only needed to only could like let it out by like basically approaching Tony Kushner and saying like, can we just like, I don't want to go to therapy. Can you like help me write a movie about my life and also about how just help me like, it feels like the whole movie is like, uh, it's like he spent 60 years like writing a bunch of journal entries, right? He had like a diary and now he's like reading it out to us and we're watching it, but we're like, uh, it's like the, the outcast lyric and Hey, uh, you don't y'all don't hear me you just want to dance like you're not hearing like what i'm saying like yes movies are really cool but also like at the heart of this film like my heart is broken like my family is broken and this is like the only way that i can that i know how to like cope with any of that because it initially like, kind of it kind of caused it you think it took him this long to make it because he really wanted to make a well-crafted film or he just wanted to wait for both of his parents to die Actually, you know what? I've got the answer for this because he did do an interview about this. It is actually routes back to you, Brian, is that he got really scared during the pandemic. He was like, oh, my God, I'm going to freaking die. I need to make yeah. this right away. You seem oh, too no. excited to tell me that information. Ethan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, what if what if this is the last movie I can ever make? Right. I, I got to do this now. And it comes at I mean, the, the stars have aligned in such a way that I'm allowed to sort of I feel allowed that to, to make this movie. And uh, so here we go, you know. I'd be satisfied if this was, like, his last film ever. I think it's, like, a good send-off on, like, him and, like, his messaging behind what movies mean to him. And I, I think it just helps us understand, like, his filmography a whole lot better, what his influences are, and, like, why things are so, like, important to him and certain aspects of his film are so grand um you know i'm sure he's gonna make more in the future but i think this is like a if this was his last film i think it'd be like a nice send-off does yeah, this feel I like the, his last film that could have like oscar love in this way or do you think that he's still like eh, i feel like going pretty hard on you know whatever Spielberg's else i got like a, next Spielberg's like a meryl streep it's like whatever he does they'll give him an award for it so you know yeah at the end of the day i kind of think Sorry, Josh. Go ahead. No, it's fine. I was. I just wanted to end on that weird sentence at the end of the day. Anyways, I'm really going. sorry. <laughs> Women interrupt. No, no, no. I'm. <laughs> I'm really sorry. <laughs> Please finish what you were saying. I'm. No, no, no. Let's keep the women talking. Okay. <laughs> uh, I forgot what I was gonna say. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I'm sorry. Um. Oh. Oh. I was. I was gonna say that I think Spielberg is like one of those people like he doesn't phone it in like I think he always is just gonna give like 110% to anything he works on um because he cares yeah he cares and that's like 
honestly, that felt like the message of the Fablemans too, in a lot of ways. Like he puts, he puts his whole self into everything he creates. Um, which is why I think like, no matter what, if he continues to make things, um, you know, we're going to continue to see him in the awards. Um, so. Also, I feel like he, I connect with him as a filmmaker because I would like to do revisionist history for my short films and recreate them and make them look very a lot better. Oh, you're talking about the like little just flashes of like, you know, just kind of little fine tuning he has on these on his real life experiences. Like, like, do you like the, are you talking about? Did you the, did you see his short? What, like, uh, like emblem or uh, the the ditch day video? Did you see any of his short films that were like on YouTube? I think there's like access to them. Uh, at least his like World War Two film. It looks nothing like the way he portrayed it in his movie. It looked a lot more amateur, and I'm like, yeah, of course you would. You would make it look like you were professional the whole time. Like if I were to make a movie about myself, I'd be like, yeah, I was. I was this talented the whole time. But I mean, what still I think remained true was the fact that he was doing those things where he would, you know, plant little, uh, like catapults into the ground to yeah. to make it look like you know uh bullets were coming out like that is innovative right that's definitely there and it's not embellished because yeah. I, I i knew about that before i saw the film so i'm assuming i mean i'm going off of that assuming that that is what he would do so i mean as far as like like the quality of things sure yeah i mean it's gonna look a little embellished but um you know he didn't have janish kaminsky uh <laughs> in you know back at this time he had his own little uh you know super eight yeah his own little super eight camera but um sure also, i mean let him lie let him lie a little bit if that's what if we're gonna let him do that right it's the movies and didn't uh some of his high school friends recently come out and say that he didn't have a girlfriend <laughs> again let him let him lie about a thing or two this doesn't <laughs> not this does not matter like, we're missing the bigger picture here that like <laughs> it's his parents went through a really tough time <laughs> at the same time he dealt with with terrible anti-semitism when he moved yeah but he lied about his girlfriend brian that's what's more important <laughs> the, here. the worst like, crime of all <laughs> just to kind of wrap up this fableman's uh talk um i will say it is um we'll get to like more of the actors noms later is that like it is kind of weird so Michelle Williams did get a nomination for Best League Actress, which was definitely, like, deserved. It, it is a little weird. They kind of flew over Paul Dano a little bit. Uh, I was really disappointed by that. I really wanted him to get a nomination um, for Best Supporting Actor. Um, I thought he was you, very, very good. Who would you kick out of the lineup? Barry Coogan? Oh, that's a good question. Um, Judd Hirsch? It's a Judd Honestly, Hirsch. It's always, yeah. it's always a tough Why is call. Judd Hirsch in there. Yeah, Judd Hirsch. His role, his role, his scene was fantastic, and I don't want to diminish his performance. But I think I thought Paul Dano's performance moved me more in the movie. Um, and I thought he was he was a larger part of the film, and he just did such a great job, like portraying a father. And I don't know, supporting characters that are parents are often. Um, sort of cookie cutter, right? And and he did a really nice job of making it a really memorable parent character in a story that while it's about the parents, it's not, you know, he's not on screen all the time. So um, anyway. Yeah, it's not a big kind of bombastic performance. It's not, it's definitely not as loud as, as the Michelle Williams part. And yeah. it's definitely not as loud as everything that you see in the like nine or 10 minutes of, 
Judd Hirsch in his moment. It's a very memorable scene that has been rewarded. It, you know, it seems it sounded like at, uh, I think it was no at Toronto at TIFF. Uh, that scene played to like rapturous applause, and from that moment, everyone thought like, oh, well, Judd Hirsch could probably win this award. But I mean, that's not. Well, let's, let's be honest. That's not going to happen. This this category has been a lock since like March. Yeah. But yeah, um, it has. Yeah, but Paul Dano, I mean, should have like should have been nominated like four or five other times in in like the last twenty years. I love should have been guy. nominated for the Riddler. You know what? <laughs> Think about this case. You know, guess who has a film in the Criterion Collection that they directed, and who doesn't? Yeah. Sorry, Spielberg. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Better luck next time, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I saw I saw something some some tweet that said like Paul Dano getting snubbed for this award is like the most Burt Fableman thing that can happen. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> He's just like, okay, you know, I'm just well, all right. I'm, you know, it's of, happy to be considered. Well, yeah, kind of, well, you know, kind of reflecting on like performances that do make make the movie. Sometimes you know, best pictures, it's less performance, more about the culmination of everything else. But I will say this this that's next like best picture nominee is definitely riding on its performance more than anything else and i think elvis would be the most performance heavy like movie <laughs> i was surprised it was nominated for best picture uh not for performance though i definitely was not surprised by performance and i guess not surprised for editing because i think the academy doesn't really know what good editing is sometimes uh i think the academy thinks oh it's a lot and therefore it's good uh, but yeah, I think for the most part, I really appreciate Elvis for the performance. I think Austin Butler did a good job. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's like what everybody it's a, says. Like, oh yeah. Austin Butler was great. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. entirety of the entirety of Elvis, the film is like the exact opposite of Burt Fableman. It's like. <laughs> completely on the other side where you have this big like basically fireworks show of you know Elvis's catalog with some of his story it's got some Elvis in it um and with you have a very like true ass like sincere performance from Austin Butler mixed in with just the goofiest most gold membery Tom Hanks performance that I the movie's been out the movie came out last summer and I never even thought once whether I thought that Tom Hanks was like good or bad in it I just know that it's goofy that it's ridiculous and I'm still a little baffled by how this and like you know House of Gucci last year just play super deep into that uh, I am a character, I am in a suit, I can totally escape, but I am going on, I'm going at like an 11 on this performance. The, the Dana Carvey approach. <laughs> I mean, it's like, I mean, you know, it's kind of like the, yeah, Dana Carvey, I mean, like Mike Myers, Eddie Murphy doing it. Uh, I still, I'm still, I still don't really know what to think about it. Like the performance Oscars make sense to me because Austin Butler is genuinely good as Elvis. You know, he's gotten the nail. He's nailed the voice down. We know this. Uh, a, a little too good. Yeah, a little, a little too, a little too well. 
um how funny would it be if he like won and he just goes like thank you very much i hope he does that yeah Yeah. but um and then they go elvis has left the building uh but i i'm i the eight nominations total is still kind of a little strange to me but i mean i get it like like I get it, but I don't get it. I think it's just because it hits on people's nostalgia again. It kind of like yeah. it's again kind of like a dad movie where it's like, oh, I remember Elvis, and therefore a lot of older people are gonna be like, hey, that's good. Was this? But was this how they remembered Elvis? Yeah, probably. Well, I remember just... when I listened to Elvis and also did Speed for the first time. <laughs> it went a little gonna... something like a Baz Luhrmann film. There's a big overlap there. <laughs> yeah, the Venn diagram is like super like middle heavy. It, this does like feel kind of like it's the stars are sort of aligning for this movie, I think. In, in it that like most years I don't think it would get past the like actor performances and maybe a couple of like small noms, but like between like just the momentum it's had since its release plus, you know, Timing of certain things, right? Uh, Lisa Marie Presley just passed away, unfortunately. And just, like, a lot of, like, things are, like, kind of culminating in this film's success. You know, I think... I You know, I had a good time with it. I, I think ever since Bohemian Rhapsody, it's just been kind of, like, there's no rules. It's like, all right, if this thing can get, like, nominated for multiple Oscars at this point, any musical biopic could probably make it. Well, the bar's so low, right? Yeah. What's I mean, like the best biopic, like musical biopic for a lot of people is Walk Walk Hard. Yes. Which is like in itself like like a parody. Like a parody. Yeah. yeah. And so that's the irony of like musical biopics that there's really not a lot of great ones. So when there's one that comes along that's flashy enough and is like decent enough to like I, I don't know, like entertaining, I guess is the best way to put it. Like they're gonna like just be throw throw shit at it, you know? And Austin Butler, like, be damned. Like, you know, he's going to be a star after this, regardless if he wins or not. Yeah, and deservedly so. Yeah, totally. I think my whole thing with musical biopics is that they're, they are too much like that cookie cutter thing that we were talking about. Uh, and also that all the, the different liberties that they will take. You can still look at a musical biopic the same way that you can look at, like, uh, you know, a Fableman's where like there's going to be lying involved. There's going to be embellishing. Like this isn't exactly how things happened. You know, you watch like Bohemian Rhapsody and you can watch that and go like, wait a second, this didn't happen at this point. And then you sort of, you lose, you, you forget that like, that's not like why they made the film. They're not willing to tell the full story. That's one thing that I really loved about the Weird Al movie, which is that like, it just is completely fabricated. None of this actually happened. I like that when it's I like when a musical biopic is not grounded. You know, that's what worked for me about Rocket Man, which is like it yeah. was an Elton John biopic, but it was also just kind of like a fantasy film. Right? Elvis yeah. has its appeal because it is an Elvis story. It is an Elvis story. You know, they take some liberties with how much they want to like, you know, talk about like his film career or uh you know where he gets his where he got his like musical inspiration from right. or um you know his death anything like that it's like it's maybe not like what you want to put into the story but they do tell it in a way that is like definitely uh uh, uh gripping right it's very it's very attention grabbing and that's what i think works about the film but i mean i guess yeah, there's it. There's just a lot, 
you know, you're being you're being fed a lot in what is also a pretty long movie. It's like it's like long. It's probably longer than All Quiet on the Western Front. God, man, bring back ninety minute movies. This, Please, this, uh, no. This What's the year, shortest movie nominated? Uh, women talking. Probably. It's Banshees. Yeah, Banshees or Women Talking. Oh, Banshees. Like, yeah, two. Oh, both are almost two hours apiece. Like, yeah. Well, last year yeah. was even worse. I think there was like, yeah, because they had Drive My Car and Nightmare Alley. You know, migrating from Elvis to another Best Picture nominee. Just also super long, lengthy movie that is. Um, I think a majority of people like just because the box office says so. Um, Avatar: The Way of the Water. Uh, everybody, uh, everybody's here seen it, correct? Oh, yes. I experienced it. I was about to say, did I, I? Did you all experience it? Because I took mushrooms for the first time and went and watched that movie, and I kid you not, I felt like a fish. I wanted to be a fish. <laughs> Stop breathing. No, but I started crying at the end of the movie when I realized I didn't have gills. I will say, if you didn't see it in IMAX 3D, then you're a schmuck. Uh, I don't know how else oh. you would how else you would watch this movie. Um, I would. I watched I, it on my iPhone the way that James Cameron intended. Oh yeah, tell that to David. I'm Lynch. kidding. He'll, he'll love I'm you. kidding. I watched it in IMAX 3D because I'm not. Uh, what did you call people? Schmuck. Schmuck. I'm not a schmuck. I watched it in uh, IMAX 3D. 3D TVs exist, right? Those are still being sold. No, uh, actually, those are being phased out. Yeah, they exist, but I don't know if they're being sold. They're so, taking like, away our 3D in our homes? We used to be a proper country. Uh, 90-minute movies and 3D televisions. <laughs> we had it good back then. But I think it's just like, let's say you buy this on Blu-ray, you're not going to get the same experience. And I don't know. That's the that... interesting thing is that I didn't... So I missed the first Avatar the first time around in theaters. Yeah. I, I don't know how, because it's the top grossing movie of all time, but I did. And... I just never had the urge to watch it at home. I was like, this movie is huge. And anybody, everybody I've ever talked to about is like, yeah, it's visually really cool, but that's that's it. And I was like, yeah, I'm never going to watch this. And then they re-released it in 4K um, like a couple months before Avatar Way of the Water. I was like, okay, I'm just you know going to take an edible and go see this. It's incredible. It's... Have you ever watched this movie sober? No, I don't intend to. <laughs> but That's the way of water. Well, and I was going to say, both this and the sequel, like, you know, I'd be damned, like, yeah, the plot is simple, and, you know, you know what's going to happen from the very get-go, but, I don't know, visually, I don't know if you really can compete with that. Yeah. I had a similar experience, Nathan. I also missed the first uh, Avatar in theaters in 2009, because I don't know why. I think my family just didn't go and so i didn't your, see it your family wanted to shelter you from the half naked nobby it's possible um but we'll never know for sure we anyway, are a schmuck family um, and we are going to raise schmuck children <laughs> <laughs> okay yes i'll i'll pass it on and let my family know anyway um so <laughs> i missed the 2009 movie originally but when it was re-released in theaters i did also see it and i was blown away if you had told me that the original avatar was made this that year, 2022, I would have believed you, hands down. Um, and I I liked the second one, but honestly, seeing the first one for the first time in such close timing to the second, honestly, felt like it diminished the second one a bit for me just because it was so similar. Um, it was like a real copy-paste of the plot and cast and um, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I'm not 
the technical aspects were stunning and I'm not denying any of that, but it, it really fell flat in other aspects for me personally. Uh, I do love hearing the stories about James Cameron talking to producers and they're always like saying like, this is too long or you need to cut this out. And all he says is like, no, fuck off. Like, <laughs> and just mm. does his own thing. Yeah. He has ascended to James Cameron status and he's like, no, I'm going to make, I'm going to make my movie. I don't care. He just I will, I will, throws money I'll people. beat you to a pulp with stacks of money and Oscars. Yeah. <laughs> I was, you know, I, I He's the box office king. I mean, for I a reason. I aspire to know. have his confidence because he's like, yeah, it's gonna be a slow burn. I don't give a shit. Like, it'll make it two billion. He made Titanic so he could like have an excuse to go to the bottom of the ocean, like, which he... I admire. I would totally make a movie just so I could go explore something. That's so cool. Would you make a Loch Ness monster movie, Delane, just so you can prove that? It I is have a... been waiting. I have been waiting for that chance my whole life. Um, I, I hate to break it to you. You heard it here, folks. I hate to break it to you, Delane, but you're going to be very disappointed by what you find. Well, I talked to somebody at dinner last night whose friend had seen the Sasquatch, so what, what does I'm that just do? saying. Was this, was this the dude with the long hair and the beard and kind of... Yes, well, it was, and he was very convincing. Did he look so... in a mirror, and that's how he confused himself for a Sasquatch? It was his friend who saw it. You guys don't listen to me. Anyway, the truth is out there. So I, I, I'm the only thing I'll like lastly say, unless anybody else has anything to add to Avatar, is that like I think uh, way of the water, like I don't think it's gonna win like best picture or anything, but I think it's like a good reminder that movies don't have to be maybe the most like engaging, like you know story wise or anything, but like visually can still be like spectacles in themselves, right? Yeah, I think of yeah. like go going to like the Omzi Max, which is like a giant educational like theater. And just seeing like those type of movies remind me, yeah, this could just be a really nice visually pleasing thing. It's the Mad Max Fury Road of this year, where it just gets all the technicals, and it's like, you know, it's definitely going to win Best VFX, and it's just the experience. That's what you're there for, mm -hmm. and sometimes that's all and movies that's are. Fine. It's yeah, it's a I'm movie, not mad about that. It's a movie that is unapologetic in how much it wants to be watched and not yes. read. It's, I would. I would hate it more if it was like trying to insist upon itself, like we're an important movie or anything like that. It doesn't say though, that. Though I mean, though I I would say that there's a very large environmental message right. throughout this film that I think is being conveyed. Um, if you if you're reading it in that way, I mean, it's hard to tell because we're. I mean, even though it's like like half a day's worth of film of content that right. like there's only two Avatar movies. Right. And the first one is 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 very heavy in its themes of, uh, you know, protecting the forests. Right. Trees, nature. And the second one, the way of water. It's very much about how important the oceans Wait. are. And the next one, you know, and so forth, so on and so forth. Um, there's a very heavy conservation theme that that's that's existent in this film. Uh, I watched the first Avatar in theaters and I just recently found out that I saw it standard definition. Schmuck. Uh, no, no, no 3D. Schmuck. And, Schmuck among uh, us. Uh, and it cost me like $6.50. Oh, my God. That, that's going to be important later on. Because <laughs> when, I saw, when I saw The Way of Water, I paid for an IMAX 3D ticket at my local Regal Cinemas, the nearest IMAX theater to me. I had Regal Unlimited at the time, 
so my ticket was discounted up to a point minus uh you know some some service fees and also uh, an upcharge for IMAX and my ticket for Avatar the Way of Water cost me $6.50 I should oh. also specify that since watching the first Avatar in theaters I have not revisited Pandora I have not rewatched the first Avatar and then I just went in 13 years later knowing trying to remember as much as I could remember from the first avatar and experience this new one. And I think I've got a real thing going on here. I don't know if I'm, I don't know if my future involves me rewatching avatar films. I think this is something that I will have the most fun only experiencing once, like when they're out in theaters. Uh, and I, and that's, that's fine for me. I'm sure James Cameron doesn't mind. I'm giving him he I've I've made him like, you know, I've made the guy 13 bucks already. Yeah, $13. <laughs> I'm sure he's got nothing to complain about. Uh, You're welcome. You're knocking Cameron. at your door. He's like, you son yeah. of a bitch, you owe me money. <laughs> <laughs> All I know is this might be the last time I spend at least six dollars and fifty cents on a movie because it's getting it's getting tough out there. So we'll have to kind of move this along as we're hitting a little bit of our time, but I do want to get a. Uh, through these next three just because they are some of our my personal favorites i know just talking to each of you that you all have enjoyed some of these too mm-hmm. um i'd be amiss not to mention banshees of into sharon probably one of the most ruthless movies this year it's also the funniest yeah could be i mean it depends on like you know your mileage on i don't know i laughed a lot during elvis but i think for a lot of the wrong reasons <laughs> But also, uh, yes. you know, I I think I think everything everywhere all at once has a lot to you know oh, yeah. a lot of really funny stuff. Um but yeah, I I would say that like but Banshees as far as like laughs by dialogue, uh that's it's surefire like the number one. Yeah. Banshees is a really like performance heavy film. Like I think actually it might have the most performance nominations. Um yeah. it's it's tied. Tied, tied with everything. Uh, everything everything everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Um, and honestly, I wouldn't be upset if any of them won their respective categories. Um, I, I mean, am just so surprised that Colin Farrell and uh, Brendan Gleeson both have, for the first time, been nominated. They're such prolific actors. I'm surprised mm-hmm. that they haven't been like nominated before. Yeah, I, I honestly think Colin Farrell has a really good shot at winning. Um, he just yeah. has had so many great performances, and it seems like maybe it's like a long overdue, like Leo DiCaprio type. Mm-hmm. Um, situation where they're just going to give it to him because he has deserved it so many times in the past. Um, mm-hmm. Which is so, which is so weird considering the lead up to this has been completely the opposite. That instead of Colin Farrell like even being in the race, it was like, oh yeah, Brendan Fraser is going to win this, and you know we'll talk more about the actor nominations later. But yeah, yeah, complete flip to the script, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that Brendan Fraser. I don't think he will win it. Like it, he is in my mind, they're equal contenders. Um, but uh, yeah, um, Banshees is great. I, I have seen it. It's the only nominee that I have seen twice. Um, and I got a lot more out of it on the second viewing. The first viewing I was, I think it's a really unique type of movie. It's, it's really like funny, but in a way where you're like, should I be laughing kind of? Um, and it's really kind of sad at the same time. Like, you know, it's kind of bleak and melancholy in a certain way, um, which makes it the comedy really pop. But it also makes it, you know, you sort of question it. Like, a- am I laughing at this in the way that it's meant to be? Um, 
And uh, yeah, I, I did really enjoy it. The second viewing really cemented it for me as a really fantastic film. Um, honestly, and I know there's like a larger scope message to it um, about like Irish civil war and things like mm -hmm. that, um, which I myself, I'm not knowledgeable enough to speak to, but um, in a way the film works for me just as it's small scale story, you know, as like a little fable set in an Irish town. Like it works really, really well for me in that lens. Okay. Yeah. Good take. Thanks. I'm just kidding. Okay, oh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, 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 good take on this one. No, yes. you, you, yeah. you had the good take, and so that you left us speechless. <laughs> I know I've imploded the podcast. Like, no, this is not the show for that. This what is also the last episode of of all bad takes because we, we, we got a good one. We caught one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I, unless anybody has anything, I think she oh, pretty God. much hit every. I think she pretty much hit everything on the head. Uh, okay. Oh, yeah. Thanks, guys. Cool. And shout shout out to Jenny the donkey, Rip. Jenny. The, the the true the true snub of 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 this Oscar year. Great year for donkeys in film, by the way. Um, yeah. Speaking of kind of tragedy, oh, well, I don't even know if I would call this a tragedy. More of just like the the ironic film. Um, Tar was kind of a I don't know. It was a surprise for me, I guess, just because like I didn't expect Kate Blanchett to give us another career defining performance, but uh, here we are. And uh, it's made the best actress race Eve kind of a hellscape right now. Yeah, yeah. she's going to win. I mean, she's definitely one of the top two. I think it's between her and Michelle Yeoh. Um, but it could really be either. It's a total toss-up in my mind. Um, and they'd both be deserving. Like, I would be happy for either of them. Um, I just, I, Michelle Yeoh's performance really um, resonated with me and, like, touched mm. my heart in a way that, like, it's just, a, it's a more of a, heartwarming performance than tar is but they're both equally skilled and they're both um they both you know hold up their respective films very very well i was incredibly happy to hear michelle yo got nominated for best actress i was a little worried because you know best actress doesn't usually go to women of color um and i was i don't know i i recently had rewatched everything everywhere and i just didn't realize how subtle of a performance hers is sometimes uh, especially when it comes to just the nuances of her relationships with everyone she interacts with. And I don't know, because she's just been so renowned for being like an action-heavy actress, just seeing her do a lot more drama-related stuff and getting praised for it, I'm very happy to see. But we're talking about Tar, not Michelle Yeoh. Uh, I had early access to see Tar uh, before a lot of people did. Uh, and I will be honest, uh, I was kind of not sold in the first half. I was... I mainly because I didn't know where it was going. Uh, but by the second half, I was really captivated by her performance. And I think it's just the whole unraveling of it was just so entertaining for me, uh, especially when she has the accordion and does apartments for sale. That was probably my favorite part of the movie. Uh, snubs for original song. Snub for original song. Not the best accordion-related movie. Sorry. Uh, Weird Al is going to probably win that one. But um, yeah, I think it's just, I love characters that like devolve or get deconstructed and like them fighting against it. I think that's always so interesting, especially people, especially her character who's supposed to be very reserved um, and like seeing her like fight against that. It's just so fun. Uh, and I loved every aspect of that. Uh, I was very surprised that it got directing and like, 
I don't know what else. I can't. I have to read the list. Editing and cinematography. It was like six Cinem- or seven. It was. Yeah. It, people. People like, really yeah, loved, loved this movie. <laughs> yeah. I thought one of the greatest strengths of Tar, aside from everything you mentioned already, Josh, um, was that it's very timeless. You know, mm-hmm. there's nothing about it that really specifically dates it, except for some references to COVID. Um, yeah. I think with movies about. Um, cancel culture the sort of yeah i didn't necessarily want to like blanket it in that term but um but yeah you know movies about that sort of phenomenon in our in our culture that we're seeing a lot of um i think there's a tendency or maybe a temptation to really date it you know and make it like very present um but because this movie doesn't do that i think it actually makes it a lot more powerful um and it really makes it something that's going to hold up long term like people will be able to revisit this movie and I think it's going to stay relevant, you know, for a long time in a way that it wouldn't have if it had, you know, sort of dug itself into that trap. Yeah, I'm excited for a Banshees rewatch, but I'm very, very excited for a Tar rewatch because uh, I should maybe do a rewatch for Tar and uh, We're the Al Yankovic story because I watched them both on the same day. And (laughs) I'm partially convinced that they are almost the same movie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in like a really in a really really flimsy way. Hot take. <laughs> that's my yeah, that's my hot take is that Tar and Weird Al were like they're they're kind of related in a in a strange way. They're like even though one is a fictional account of a real person and the other is a more grounded approach to telling a story about a fake person. And they both play and they both play the accordion. Such a like weird phenomena that people like at least on Twitter, I don't know where else, were like actually like thought Lydia Tar was a real person. It became that was an ongoing time. joke. It was just crazy. I mean, I'll be honest that this like, year's having... Bronco Henry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but honestly, like audiences are not always doing their homework in the way that maybe they should. Like I can't tell you as a former movie theater employer how many times I heard people leaving the auditorium after seeing Dunkirk and saying, Wow, I can't believe that movie. What if that was real? Like, oh <laughs> <Wow>. So <laughs> Wow. I wanna know uh, if there's people who thought like like that was like Elvis's life, you know, or that uh very clean version of Elvis's life, at least. Yeah, it's like, huh. Well, imagine if like Elvis were real. Where is the Tom line Hanks. where people like just don't know what something is like real or not? It's Tom Hanks and, and Elvis for me. I was like, he's real, <laughs> but not, and he haunts me. Doesn't like I, Colonel Tom Parker, his character, like not? Didn't he like not talk like the way that Tom no. Hanks plays him? If you listen to interviews, he doesn't have that European accent. He talks a bit more Southern. And why did he do it? Uh, no, I'm not. I, we've talked about Elvis enough. I'm, European I, people are I, evil. <laughs> European people are evil. We we to kind of direct back to Tar because I think Tar deserves our full attention. I, I the only thing um, I'll add is that this is I don't know who told I was talking to somebody about this last night and and the way they put this in perspective I thought it was just really like kind of clever the movie is that. It's like almost it's a ghost story, but without the ghost, right? Like you know, because by the way, this whole podcast has been about spoilers. I'll probably have to put a thing at the beginning of it. But you know, throughout the movie, we find out you know Lydia Tar is a you know is being um, accused of uh, 
horrible allegations and one of them like led to the death of one of her um her students um and throughout the movie you know she starts to like hear these like little like things she starts to hear like this like metronome as well as like kind of mm-hmm. starts to see things like there and there and it, it's almost like a paranormal activity like instance or like a really like haunting ghost story but like there is no like actual ghost that's just or you could take it for like an actual ghost if you want to that's the thing it's like it's so like it's there there's like a presence there but it's never explicit in what it's saying i think that's also the same argument you could throw out for banshees as well is that it has like a ghost story feel for it um, there's like a haunting aspect of it, especially with like the older woman. I guess she's supposed to be the banshee or something like that that she watches is, over yeah. everyone. But yeah, that's like a common theme for like some of these best pictures is that they can be other things as well. Yeah, like how yeah. people say like Top Gun Maverick is like a, a death dream. That's after the beginning when he hits Mach 10. And it's like, uh, oh yeah, it's Maverick's like, it's like his end of like Taxi Driver or something that like, oh, yeah, this, no one he, would survive he did this, that. he dies and like, this is what happened. Like, this is just like the last thing that plays in his head before he goes, you know, kaboom. Wow, I hadn't heard that. And now I also know how Taxi Driver ends. I mean, I'm, a li- <laughs> I'm being a little vague about certain parts of it, but like, I mean, uh, spoilers for Taxi Driver, I guess. <laughs> I'm teasing. I had not heard that about Top Gun. That's that's wild and extremely sad if true. Um, I don't real. I don't subscribe to the to the Top Gun death dream theory at all. But like, just the fact that it's like prevalent in yeah. in enough of the conversation that like you can you can hear it and you can be like, oh yeah, I guess that makes sense. Like that's more I where I am at all about a lot of these kinds of yeah uh, takes on on. on uh, well, you guys are making me really want to rewatch Tar. I already had wanted to rewatch it anyway. I felt like it's a movie yeah. that benefits from a second viewing. But um, yeah, now I really want to rewatch it with like a ghost story lens over it. Very cool. Yeah, it's just like it's it's haunting, right? Like throughout the movie, like, you know, she's dealing with a lot of shit, but she's yeah, it's always in the back of her head. Um, we'll move on to our last best picture because I do want to get to it and it deserves its time. But I will say, like, I think Tar has my favorite ending of the year (laughs) which is like it's it's so subtle but when like it finally like hits and you're like watching you're like oh it's even more of a bigger irony than anything else i'd seen this year so should we talk about like what will win best picture (laughs) well we only Uh, haven't we've talked about one movie yet we've got one more i think that's what i'm saying talk about the film that Uh, will more than likely win best picture like uh uh-huh brian is talking about is the kind of the crowd i would say kind of the crowd favorite from this year for a lot of people is so the everything everywhere favorite. all at once yeah here's the Which, thing uh, it is such a slam dunk for the academy just to give that best picture like you cannot lose if you give that best picture uh and i'm just i'm a little afraid that they're gonna like pull the rug from right under us and be like oh we're actually gonna give it to elvis or something like well, that. Well, it, it feels like this year's like Parasite, where it's so insanely obvious that this should win for multiple, multiple reasons, right? Like, it's like, it's got so much support from the critical audiences, from a lot of casual goers, like, that yeah. really love this. Like, I've seen so many people just online, social media, talk about this movie from a wide spectrum, right? And it's, uh, there's not a lot of best lose. pictures to get that. You can't lose, so don't 
fuck it up. <laughs> it's such a good movie. And, you know, I think the fear as of it as a contender is that it came out kind of a long time ago. Um, yeah. It'll have been like almost a year, I think, by the time the awards mm-hmm. ceremony happens. Um, yeah. So there's some fear that maybe there's some fatigue, right? Like it's been campaigning in a way, like for a long time. And, and often movies with such a long time in between their theatrical release to the awards show lose that steam. Um, mm-hmm. But it seems to have done pretty well. I'm not, I'm not as well informed about other award ceremonies as I should be. But it seems like you know we have a few nominees in other categories that are locked in. You know we have Kihi Kwan and um, supporting actor who is pretty much again I, I don't want to jinx it, but a well deserved lock for that um, win I think, and uh, quite a few others. You know, um, and. I don't know. There's also a chance that it might only win best picture and nothing else. I don't, I have no idea. That Um, would be absolutely wild. If it only won best picture, like talk about just a way to like, let the Academy implode. Oh yeah. It's happened. Yeah. Um, It has happened. It crashed. But it's, it's it's, it's rare. No, I think it won screenplay too. Uh, That's usually what happens is like something will no spotlight. You'll see a trend also won uh, a screenplay. Uh, Oscar usually like if you get that then like you're pretty destined for like best picture it in some way I mean there's been exceptions but um yeah but generally like yeah I mean this film like it's weird like that this film came out in March of last year and from that point like hitting all these different milestones like how how heavy it was uh in its uh, in the reaction to the film that was like, you know, it like skyrocketed its way to the top of like, you know, like at the letterbox list, right? It's not there anymore, but like it, the way that it just like soared past like, you know, Parasite of all things, right? Another Best Picture winner. Um, and still being over a year ago, you know, that kind of momentum hasn't like really stayed with a film when, and up to the point where it wins the Oscar since... I, I think Silence of the Lambs, like that came out in like February, February yeah. and then it won the next year in 1992. But like, you still have some of those films that like will have the attention um, early on and then will eventually, you know, kind of fade out. You know, you kind of like, I remember you just feel like a film has stayed, has overstayed its welcome, perhaps at least on a, on an awards perspective, you know, like your, your, your get outs would still get, recognized your black panthers would still get recognized your grand budapest hotel which still gets recognized um and i like that with everything everywhere all at once the conversation wasn't at least from my perspective wasn't about like you know whether it's gonna like be forgotten whether it's going to make a a statement at the academy uh but like where like you know whether or not like who's gonna get supporting out of the out of the performances if it's going to be stephanie shu or if it's going to be jamie lee curtis or if it's going to be both if it's going to if they're going to cancel each other out and it's actually going to be you know carrie condon and banshees or it's going to be you know uh it's sort of that was sort of the conversation that was happening under women talking and that that didn't that didn't you know happen which it's it's all it's all the oscars are such a weird kind of game campaign thing that it's like yeah. It, it, there's no, you can't like say you know exactly how how to read it. Oh, I just was gonna say I'm so happy that Stephanie Sue got 
um, nominated. She was my like dark horse candidate for that category. And I was really, really hoping it would work out because her performance is so, so incredible in that movie, like on par with Michelle Yeoh, I think. Um, It's the catalyst of the whole movie. Mm -hmm. So it would be asinine not to nominate her. But she was not in the conversation, honestly. I mean, with Jamie Lee Curtis, Jamie Lee Curtis was almost the lock for that film for that category. And she was getting edged out. And I was just like, I'm going to be super disappointed if that's the case. And I was really pleased yeah. to see that it wasn't. So anyway, what I were you going to say, Josh? I was very worried going in because I was looking at the short lists when they were released. And I think everything everywhere was only displayed on two of the short lists. Granted, a lot of them were the shorts and the documentary shorts and all of that. But I think from what I was looking at, I think everything everywhere was like on the short list for, I think, makeup. And that was it. I was very worried. I was like, all right, if it's not being presented in a lot of these categories, the Oscars just forget about it. Uh, And then, uh, to my surprise, it was nominated for 11 other things, like, once the actual nominations came out. So I was a bit more comforted by the fact that the Academy didn't forget. Um, And I think this was, like, the biggest turnout for Academy voting uh, out of all the years in a while. I don't know. Uh, I was surprised that, like, all... They dominated every acting category. I I just not that I wasn't expecting it. It was just like wow, crazy. You got you got everything in there. Um, I was surprised the Daniels got best directing. Uh, I just from the guys who made Swiss Army Man, I wouldn't think that the Academy would be like yeah yeah those guys are best director competitors. I don't know. Well, I was just gonna say really quickly, you know, then a lot of that DNA from Swiss Army Man is very much in oh. everything everywhere oh, as well. Yeah. So that's that, you know, that just adds to that. The fact that whole... they wrote, they also got best screenplay, and it was like a guy that got had to forcefully put something up his butt got nominated for best screenplay, and it's like, you know, kudos to the Academy for like getting go, doing away with the snobbiness and embracing the ridiculousness. All I was gonna add about Swiss Army Man was I believe the Daniels won Best Directing out of Sundance when Swiss Army Man premiered, Ooh. and that was the first indication that I had. Like when I when I heard about that and before I went into the film, I thought like, well, let's see about that. And then obviously like it's hard to ignore the like you know the turndown for what video ness of it. They ha- they have a style right, and yeah. like that's that does not surprise me when I see like a nomination for directing. I think it's just because of. I think it's just because the subject matter they work with is so unorthodox compared to what we usually consider for Academy Awards stuff. I wouldn't see Steven Spielberg have somebody try to put something up their butt and the Academy being like, that's that's pretty crit- critically acclaimed. I'm going to give that to them. Mm. Well, uh, now I have some homework. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I will, I, will... I will volunteer to check that. Josh, you make... <laughs> You make a really good point, Josh, about that. And I think it also adds to just kind of this transitional period the Academy is in currently. Mm-hmm. I think from Parasite onward, it's been sort of that way. Like, you know, after the whole Green Book fiasco, I think people started to take a look, real hard look at the Academy. It's like, okay, is this really what you guys want or want to be? And so, all, you know, more Academy members of like diverse backgrounds have been added. And it's been, I think, better voting in terms of like what kind of movies or like nominations are getting out there right so what i'm hearing you say nathan was that green book winning best picture was actually a good thing i i think it was representative of where the academy was still the mindset was still i think interesting i i do think it was a good thing and obviously 
bad thing compared. Sorry to all the green book stands out there. Um, but <laughs> I'm not. That's yeah, that was bad. a bad movie. But um, but so my point is, is that you know everything everywhere, even it, it's just like very compelling for this generation. I think a lot of even older filmmakers are recognizing that. You know, there was a how um, you know Guillermo del Toro and Alfonso Cuarón. We posted in our Discord about how they were talking about the movie. And they were both even just like, you know, kind of saying like how like they don't 100% get it the way that like maybe younger audiences do. But they recognize that like it potentially is like this generation's like graduate or something that really captures our the moment that we're living in currently and dealing with this as like younger people or young adults or whatever the case is. Right. Wrap this up a little bit. But um, uh, I just wanted to go around and like ask everybody what you think will be the best picture winner this year? Um, honestly, uh, this is probably pretty apparent just from discussing it, but Everything Everywhere All at Once is both my favorite of the nominees and I think the most likely winner at this at this junction. Um, I really don't know. I mean, we've had a lot of surprises in the past. I, again, I'm really trying hard not to jinx it. But, um, you know, for me, it was a lot of the Oscars seem to really reward spectacle this year. Um, we have a lot of really big flashy pictures and um, I think everything everywhere all at once kind of marries the element of spectacle with the really poignant, you know, beautiful storyline where we have a lot of nominees that are just spectacle. And then we have a lot of quieter nominees that are just story or just, you know, trying to sort of convey a message in a very like understated way. And I think that picture you know, everything everywhere marries those two concepts really beautifully and is also on its own a really like stellar, timeless, beautiful film that resonated with so many people. Um, it's definitely the one that I see myself rewatching most frequently. Um, and I'm actually excited to rewatch it here in the near future. So, um, yeah, that's that's my thought on it. Fingers crossed. <laughs> uh, I would say everything everywhere I think will win. And it is my favorite this year. If Everything Everywhere did not come out or was not nominated. My second would probably be Banshees. I got a lot of enjoyment out of Banshees, not only just for acting, but the story I really liked. The comedy was really funny. And they just decided to set out and make the most beautiful Irish film I've ever seen. Also, Ireland is like very well represented in the Oscars today, not only in like the short film category, but I think the foreign language film category as well. Uh, yeah. so Ireland's really dominating this year. Uh, but yeah, I, Banshee's definitely is a close favorite, but everything everywhere, I think it tops it. Brian, you know, I gotta, sh gotta shout out to my man and Elvis Presley here. No, that's, that's completely <laughs> a lie. I think that, yeah, everything everywhere all at once definitely deserves to win. And I think it's inevitable that it will win. But and it would be the win that would make me the most happy. It's not my favorite yeah. of the of the films nominated, but just the act of seeing it win would say so much about like the state of like the Academy and like how like a true like changing of like what is normal to win an Oscar for Best Picture. And it would just be just an incredible like uh, thing to see happen. What's your favorite what? out of the nominees, though, Brian? Yeah, which is your favorite? Oh, Banshees. I said uh, at one point earlier, Banshees like my favorite, like, yeah. but, uh, you know, a Banshees win would be like, you know, nice and all yeah. only, you know, it, it does, it, it wouldn't, it's, it's such a quiet kind of small film and Coda 
does have did sort of that thing already like being kind of like a quiet underdog film that wins but like everything everywhere would like that's everything everywhere winning would be like a big bold statement about um just sort of where we're at with like movies that win oscars and movies that people see that win oscars i i think i shared a kind of similar sentiment to everybody here everything everywhere is definitely like probably my favorite of the list as well as one of my favorites of the year in general um i it's been a while since i've been that moved uh, by a movie um and i just yeah i you know echoing the same sentiment as everybody else like it's i think it captures our time time in this moment really well um yeah let's like uh, i think it'd be a real cinderella story if it, if it won you know majority if not all the awards it was nominated for um and if not it's still really great movie and i think it will be remembered for years to come and that is going to wrap up this episode i know we didn't quite get to all of our awards and everything but i knew the best picture uh, category was going to take up a majority of the time and that's perfectly fine uh, maybe we'll have to save the rest uh, snubs actors whatever the case is for part two and with that that is going to wrap up the all bad takes show you can find us at our various social media platforms which i'll put into our show notes josh do you have anything that you want to promote uh you can Follow me on Letterbox, but I have not updated my Letterbox in a long time. But uh, you can follow me at uh, Josh Ryerson. That's uh, just Josh R Y E R S O N. You can see all, right. all my bad takes. What about you, Delane? Yes, you can see more of my bad takes as well on Letterboxd and Twitter and Instagram, all at the same username, Della Halter. Um, though my name is Delane, I go by a slightly different one on social media. Um, yeah, this has been great. Thank you all so much. My Twitter is I guess Nathan. Nathan, that's his N-A-T-H-E-N. And my letterbox is New Noobs, N-U-N-O-O-B-S. My name is Brian Stevenson, B-R-I-A-N-S-T-E-V-E-S-O-N. That's my name on everything. It's been a pleasure. I love you all. Um, I'm out. I also have to pee, so I really got to go do that. This has been the All Bad Take Show. We'll see you all next time. Bye.